This is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. I wanted to remind you that the show is not intended to be a recommendation for diagnosis or treatment of any condition for any specific person. Please consult your mental health professional or doctor managing your ADHD or mental health issues about any diagnosis or treatment-related information that you hear on the show. Refer your ADHD provider to the show if he or she would like more information. Thank you. Welcome to the show today. My guest today is Teresa Maitland, who has um, spent her life doing ADHD coaching and helping students and families make transitions and adaptations to um, having ADHD and learning disorders getting through high school and then on to college. Her degree is in education uh, and she is, has a doctorate with special interest and emphasis on special education. Uh, she's been past 24 years working at a college doing um, coaching and helping families and has helped develop some of the ADHD coaching programs um, that are in the country. So I'm very happy to have her here. Teresa, welcome to the show. Well, welcome, David, and thank you so much for this great opportunity to talk with you. And I should mention that uh, Teresa has co-authored with Dr. Pat Quinn, a developmental pediatrician, two books that are published by the American Psychological Association, one is for parents, ready for takeoff, and one is for teens on their own. Um, and those go through many of the different points we're uh, talking about today. So one of the things we, we want to address is why is it that the transition from high school to college, which is certainly a major one in the lives of most kids and families, why is it that some kids do it fairly well with some expected minor bumps? Why is it for some of them it is really tough um, and others just give up and drop out or they get through one semester, maybe two, drop out for a while and it's back and forth um, and there's just seem to be different adaptations there. I'm thinking Wait. of one, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's such a, that's like the million dollar question, right? <laughs> yes. Um, I'm thinking of one um, guy I'd known from probably when he was about 12, and he'd used uh, medications and other strategies uh, to help with his ADHD. He had very supportive parents um, who weren't too tightly controlling, but still tried to keep an eye on things. And in his senior year, he decided he was... Uh, going to do it on his own. He didn't want medication. He didn't like the way it made him feel, uh, even though his focus was better. And he did fairly well through that end of high school. Uh, then he went to college, actually a fairly local one, so it wasn't far away from home. And things really fell apart. Um, he failed many of his classes, just couldn't keep up with things. Um, and recently he's come back and said, boy, I guess I do need these. And we talked about a different medicine, so it would be as transparent for him as possible. And he's doing much better now. Huh. And others that, um, even if they're taking medicine, 
time management isn't good. It's more fun to either party or just do other things, and things fall apart. Well, as I'm listening to you, I'm really thinking it's so it could be complicated because there's so many factors, right? But mm -hmm. I'm, as I'm, I'm thinking of all the students I've met too, and what's been curious is I've met some students who have very severe ADHD, maybe very severe learning disabilities, and yet they were really successful. And I, I start thinking, like, what what is the variable that seems to really make a difference? And in my mind, it's 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 what this young man has now come to grips with. I think a key factor when a kid goes to college as to how successful they're going to be is do they understand and own their difference? Mm -hmm. And do they, if they've come to that, that acceptance and their families have helped them come to that and they know how to express their own needs and go use resources, um, it, in a way it doesn't matter how severe their issues are because um, I, I'm, I'm getting flashes in my mind as you're talking of, I've met some kids who have severe dyslexia, severe, severe mm -hmm. dyslexia, may have bipolar disorder, and they have ADHD. So all those things you would think would set them up for failure. Uh, now, they would tell you they didn't have an easy time, but because they came in knowing and knowing that they had those differences and owned it, they set up with their families their resources ahead of time. Um, and there wasn't the rebelliousness or the the resistance to mm -hmm. say, I have something going on with me. Um, so I, I do think, like, one of the main factors is how many times the family has owned the difference and knows yeah. what it is and can advocate. But the young person, the young people who don't seem to do well are the ones that either don't have any clue. i give you an example. Last summer... We, I, had, um, I offered freshmen that had been accepted the opportunity to do FaceTime calls with me before coming so we could get to know each other. And I, this one young man was on FaceTime with me, and I said, so, Tom, what is your difference, and how do you think it's going to impact you in college? And he, he took his phone with him to the steps, and he yelled, Mom, what's my difference, and how do you think it's going to impact me? So I think yeah. That would be, in my mind, one of the key, key variables that really, really helps predict whether somebody's going to end up um, fighting and resisting and failing and not reaching out for resources. Oh, you know, certainly the college that they pick is also a factor. Oh, if yeah. You, if you're shy, but again, if you know your differences, you're going to make a wiser decision mm -hmm. than someone and who doesn't. And certainly I see the the other factor in that is have parents accepted it? And if that's ex one yeah, parent that's has and the other parent thinks, oh, you don't really need meds. I was like that and uh, I did okay or uh, just kind of puts in little digs about, well, you know, you really aren't that good. Um, yeah. Or parents just figure, hey, take medicines, you'll be fine, and really don't concentrate on helping a kid number one advocate for themselves and I tell kids back you know in fifth sixth seventh grade if you can learn how to ask questions and advocate for yourself manage your time those may be the most important things you learn through high school um, and well, that gives them the confidence 
and but parents also need to be there and not be always the one who's taking on school or or keeping track of homework and uh, right um, all the time or threatening like uh, boy if you don't get this assignment done you probably won't get into a good college and that'll cause you problems well that boosts the anxiety factor through the roof right well you're right that maybe I mean what you're saying is the preconditions for a young person to know and accept their difference and feel positively about it and use resources as their parents must have come to that realization so they could actually build that. And you're right, mm-hmm. in, in some situations, the families have denied, they, they've been embarrassed about the difference. They don't want the young person to uh, come out in the open because of their fears. So I think you're right. It's like ecologically, the whole environment that's raising the young person could help them be prepared if everybody could see the difference, actually value it. I, I actually mm-hmm. think yeah. if we could help not see it as a curse. Exactly. And, you know, some parents will say, well, I don't want them labeled. And I'm thinking, okay, you don't want them, quote, labeled as having ADD, but then he'll just be labeled as a dropout who has drug problems or someone who is working at McDonald's. There are consequences of not dealing with it, um, which I don't think uh, many people think through and certainly public media doesn't right Um, well you were saying something before we started the podcast about a young man that is making a decision to maybe go to a college way far away I think again if the family really understands and accepts the child's difference and the young person does too then everybody's going to make a wiser decision about mm -hmm. like you don't the college based for example, the, where I worked at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, there are really good resources for young people, but the class sizes are going to be, for example, you're going to have 400 in your biology class. So if you want to come mm-hmm. here because of sports, because we have a good basketball team, if that's what the family is focusing on, we have to really think about, can your young person learn in a group that big? Um, yeah. Yeah, my, you know, my, with teams that aren't quite as competitive, but maybe the class size is going to be in the 50s and there's going to be more supervision in the dorms. Mm-hmm. Every fall I get invited to be on a, at a college readiness fair for a private school here, and there's some colleges represented where the college is so small that it said, they said that if the young person doesn't show up at class two days in a row, the professor will call them. So I always wow. say, well, I'm... I'm from the large impersonal state system where if you don't show up, nobody knows. No, nobody and, knows. Yeah. yeah. So the decision-making, everything is really based on what you and I are saying, that if the family situation has, if the people in the family understand and value and have allowed the young person to own the difference, then they'll make wise decisions and maybe encourage a good decision and also preempt getting involved with resources, predicting the kinds of problems that are going to happen rather than being blindsided by them. Yes, and actually there are two big state schools here in Washington, and one of them tends to be, oh, here, here's the list of the resources. Call us if you need help. Good luck. And the okay. other one has much more intense parent-student, like a three-day orientation, and each of them have separate things. 
and very much more of a community feel. If you need help, we're here, and there's a residence hall advisor on every single floor of this 12-story dorm. And if you're having trouble, you know there's someone you can talk to. Um, and it, it's just a whole different flavor, and yet they're both state schools. And, yes, you have 600 people in your freshman biology class. My uh, daughter dealt with that. She doesn't have ADD, but uh, she said, I just sit in the second row. I don't see the others. Perfectly mm-hmm. small class to me. Well, that's a pretty practical way of doing it. Um, well, that's a great example where a large impersonal state institution can choose to create a community by mm-hmm. really, yeah, before the young person comes on campus, really connecting them to the resources and making them. The difference, though, because I think we're kind of moving into what's different between high school and college here, but mm-hmm. I think like the college where I worked, there were tremendous resources. Um, we had coaching available on a weekly basis, but the person, the student would have to make the appointments, which is a big challenge. Like, right, and that's the self-advocacy, right. Well, and I always think everything, like there, were a lot, there are a lot of resources on that campus. There's a writing center. There's a learning center. There's um, advising. There's the psychological supports. But all of these offices operate in different buildings, right? And they all require Mm -hmm. the ability to schedule an appointment and remember it. And I always think, well, that's one of the examples of how different high school is from college. When you're in high school, your resources find you, right? The teachers are in the building, they find you. And if you're not doing well, they come to you. And it's such a small, smaller climate where in college, depending on the size college you pick, there's a lot of resources. But, but yeah, but you, have to, you use them. have to access them. And and that gets to back to the accepting the difference that yeah, it's okay if I ask for help, um, which I think is should be okay anywhere. But um, also in in high school, it's it may be mom making the appointment, probably is mom saying, and don't forget, I'm going to pick you up <laughs> to school because you have an appointment today, and did you set the reminders on your phone? All those things where the, yes, the reminders and everything kids could set on their own on the phone, but it's mom kind of owning the running your problems instead of seeing that. Um, and I said I, in some families, say, you know, 16, you know, You've got to figure out how to manage this. You're in charge of your medicines. I'm not going to sit there and watch you take them or ask you if you've got it. I'll help you figure out a system uh, that works for you in terms of remembering it. If you don't remember it, then then you don't. Um, And you're in charge of remembering the appointments. I'll tell you, and I'll tell you, you know, maybe that week or night before, we do have an appointment but not um, hover over making sure it's in their phone. Now, the other factor in here, and it's uh, an interesting study about um, mothers with ADHD. Since often mom is running the household logistics, if mom has ADD and 
doesn't remember the appointments or didn't write them down or can't find her keys. Uh, and the study looked at the combinations of mothers with ADD, children, did or didn't have ADD, mothers without ADD, kids did or didn't. And even if the child didn't, if mom did, their outcome was worse and rougher. Wow. And if mom didn't and child had ADD. Um, so the impact of um, parents' organization, and particularly moms, um, so I try to be tuned in when someone's in as a student, they're having problems, that's why they're here, to figure out, mom, are you part of the picture as far as ADD? Let's get you treated. And mm -hmm. some moms will say, yeah, I, I need to, after he gets settled. Mm -hmm. Okay, but um, let's keep after that. Um, so the, the other things I think people may lose sight of is that your even more basic needs, parents are buying the food, usually cooking the meals. Yes, hopefully by the time you're even 14 or 15 or 16, you're doing your own laundry, but it's right there at home. You get to college, you have to at least remember to get to the cafeteria on time. Mm -hmm. And you have to know where the laundry is. You have to have the quarters for it. Um, and so it takes some planning um, and having a regular place for things. Do you know what you need tomorrow so you can set that out and have it ready to go instead of now you're, forgetting? Yeah, you're hitting all, all the subtle things that nobody thinks about that are immediately necessary. One of the, all, besides all the things you're mentioning, like remembering to stop and eat and, and being on mm -hmm. time to... There's also this real basic skill that I've seen, waking yourself up. Yes. Um, because people with ADHD, so many kids have sleep issues. Many, many times the students I meet have never practiced waking themselves up. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, they're all of a sudden overnight in a situation where it's demanded. And some professors, you know, they lock the doors at 8.05. Um, mm -hmm. You get live. Some places you don't. But I've asked some of the students, like, how did that work in high school? They'd say, well, my dad would shake me, or my mom would spray water in my face. And yeah, so hard to yeah. Protect. And those are the little things that, that are so different all of a sudden because you are living on your own. You have to be able to wake yourself up. You have to be able to manage your medicine. You have to be able to, you know, like you said, have your clothes be clean. I had some students who were also on the spectrum and had ADHD, and I can remember that they, this one young man, he was wearing the same sweatshirt over and over, and he was feeling sad because people were making fun of him. And I asked his permission to share an observation, and I just said, um, Bill, the, the sweatshirt you're wearing, I know you don't notice it, but it really smells. And he hmm. said to me sitting there, I'm learning so many new things. I have to get along with people. I have to do harder work. Why do I have to learn how to do my own laundry? It's so yeah. hard. That's, that's the kind of thing that I always think, how can we scaffold these daily living yeah. skills? You really practice college very much until you're there, but there's so much we could be doing that would mm -hmm. make the transition not as challenging. Um, 
what we didn't talk about is the you know the legal and academic differences i don't know if we have yes. time well yeah i i think that's also a big part in terms of the being able to access the support or have accommodations those kinds of things which is different and it's a different mm-hmm. kind of program and up through high school it's under what's called a 504 or an IEP program and 504 refers to section 504 of a federal law in terms of everyone's entitled to a free and public education um, whereas you go to college and that's under the Americans for Disability Act now ADHD is is covered under that but there are different things you have to show if you have this symptom how does it impair your function and what can be done to help it um, so it's a little stricter yeah. guidelines sometimes well and the other thing that's confusing for kids and parents is the two laws have different missions um, mm-hmm. you know the that govern K through 12 are really about uh, individual success and individualized you know interventions and success mm-hmm. where the ADA is really not about success. All they have to, all colleges really have to provide is the opportunity for equal access. Um, ah. So, so what that means is, they colleges don't have to provide help on one-on-one help on how to overcome your disability. They just have to provide like instructional ramps. So if you have trouble, um, let's say you do have trouble finishing your test because you work more slowly. They, colleges are, don't have to provide a coach or a learning specialist to teach you the strategy. Where high schools have those things, whether you get it in a group um, or you get it individually, colleges only have to provide an office that provides an accommodation where you could get extended time. Um, so, so it's really you, about modifications, but not individualized help. And I, getting back to what we said about choice of colleges, some colleges have the resources if you ask for individual help but the student has to ask for it there's that advocate for yourself um that's that's really key because i think more and more colleges because they're worried about general graduation rates and retention of everybody more and more colleges have free resources for all students they aren't in the disability office so if people were looking at colleges we shouldn't just be researching the disability office. We should find out, like, for example, where I worked, there was a learning center and a writing center. Any student on campus could have weekly appointments at both. Wow. So you don't have disability. Um, but the colleges aren't required to have those things. They only right. are required by law to have a disability office that maybe provides extended time, um, books on tape, note-taker accommodations, but not really they don't have to have anybody teach you how to study or how to take notes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that uh, on extended time, and that's certainly a common accommodation people think of um, in high school, gee, you're having trouble finishing tests, so you can have uh, an extra half as, as much time. And when it gets to college, hasn't been studied, I don't think, in, in high school, but when it gets to college, there's some pretty... Um, involved in, in uh, significant studies that look at does extended time number one really make that much difference for mm-hmm. the kid with ADD 
And number two, is it fair to other students who don't have it? And most of it says, you know, the extended time really doesn't improve your grades or anything with ADD. It might if you have also have a learning disorder. If you have bad dyslexia, then okay, do you get okay. um, the, the questions spoken to you or read to you? Um, or are there some accommodations for that? And yeah, you may need extra time on that. Um, so there's there's new information that's coming out also. But I think the uh, the other switching gears a little bit, schools are supposed to follow 504, and that's a real variable mess. Um, <laughs> And some schools seem to resist, we don't want to have to, or gee, you're getting B's, you don't, your grades are good enough. Yes, but the student's getting B's because she has two tutors, one parent spends at least two hours a night, and she's doing homework four hours a night, so she doesn't have any time for other social activities. That's not average. And schools right. don't tend to look at the whole picture. Uh, but well, that's a whole other subject. Right. I think, again, what parents maybe don't realize is the way the laws are written, each school, each college gets to define their graduation requirements, their documentation requirements, um, and there isn't consistency across. For example, our college did believe you could be gifted and have ADHD or a learning disability, where right down the road from us, another college, if you had really high grades, would not approve you for accommodations. Mm -hmm. you know, there's some things, and I wanted to mention, in high school, there's some accommodations that are common that won't exist in college. Like people frequently have something called extensions for assignments, mm -hmm. uh, and they have, they have blanket extensions, and they don't have to really get things done on time because they have that in their IEP. At college, that accommodation is harder to get because the professor has the right to define whether... Um, it's critical to the course that you get things on time. For example, we've had students in news writing courses where you have to have the article written within the two-hour class, and that they, the journalism school defined that that was an essential requirement for journalism. Yeah, the, for the profession, exactly. Right, to say that. So sometimes students are being raised on formal accommodations and modifications that aren't going to be in college. Mm -hmm. Like, you never got counted down for your spelling errors. Well, the Spanish department is allowed to count you down for your spelling errors. So um, mm -hmm. that by itself can really cause stress for people who haven't been prepared. Yes, and um, if they get those kind of supports even through college, you get to the job market and say, well, gee, I want extra time to do all these uh, projects I'm supposed to manage, well, we'll hire somebody else. Um, <laughs> so right. it's life preparation. Yes, you've, you've got to be able to do things on time. Um, and I, I think that is a, a tricky thing for people to negotiate and, and learn about, um, that there really are differences in the ways uh, high schools and and uh, colleges are allowed to approach things. And I think if people are aware of that, they can they can carefully, from ninth through 12th grade, kind of look at the accommodations and maybe keep 
um, teaching the skill that the person needs so they don't need the accommodation as much. Um, I, I know that it sounds awful because certainly students don't, sometimes really do have to have these accommodations, but if um, every time we intervene, I wish we would also teach the skill, and mm -hmm. I wish we would start slowly fading them. Uh, and I always say to parents, be careful what you ask for in our public schools because you're probably going to get it because nobody I know who's in the school wants a lawsuit. But I would ask you to really think critically about is what you're asking for really in your child's best interest? Is it necessary? And will it be present in the future? And how could we at the same time teach the skill? Right. Yeah, it's teaching the, the skills. And I tell people all the time, Medications can help you focus, and if you're getting better grades because you can focus, it's because you're smart. It's just the pill isn't making you smart. Well, the pill also doesn't make you figure out planning your assignments and stuff like that. You need to uh, come up with those those skills. Well, we're at uh, the the end of our time, at least for this podcast, and uh, I certainly appreciate your expertise. I think one of the um, the key points to uh, take away would even in uh, 10th or 11th grade, parents uh, looking at does your child understand their difference? They have ADHD, you have some learning problems. Do you understand that so that you can accept it? And asking what is your difference and how do you think it's going to impact you in college so that kids are thinking about that and parents. Um, and there are certainly a lot of other things we touched on and I'm sure we'll get back together and do another podcast or two to uh, work mm -hmm. things through the other things we've uh, talked about. So my guest today has been Teresa Maitland, a coach and educational um, specialist and who's worked in colleges and is now doing more coaching for parents and families, also writing articles and do, doing uh, talks to organizations. She has written a number of articles for Attitude Magazine, that's ADD Etude Magazine, which is an excellent resource on all kinds of subjects for folks with ADHD. And Teresa, it's been a pleasure to have you on the program and I look forward to doing another. Well, I really enjoyed it and I hope we can get together again. Thank you so much. Okay, this is Dr. David Pomeroy signing off for ADHD Focus and we'll see you on another time. Bye-bye.